Welcome to the Story Discovery Podcast. I'm your co-host, Jim McAteer. Coming up, you'll hear a new story from our free online publication, Etched Onyx. Please join me and co-host, Kevin McMahon, after the reading, when we talk with the author about their work and all things writing and otherwise. This podcast and all related materials are a production of Onyx Publications. All stories are copyright 2021. All rights reserved. Today's story is The Audition, written by Becky Hinshaw and narrated by Melissa Collings. Settle in and enjoy. The Audition Your name? Cicero. Like the Roman? He blinked. Jones, this is my first time. You'll be fine. I turned to Trisha at the piano. You have his music? She shrugged. I'm singing my own stuff, Cicero said. A song I made up. Acapella, then. Cicero frowned. No, you make me bleed. Pardon? It's You Make Me Bleed, name of my song. Larry kicked me under the table. I kicked him back. Whenever you're ready, I said to Cicero and smiled. Cicero untied the rolled bandana that served as his belt, hitched up his blue jeans closer to his armpits, and re-knotted the bandana. He was that thin, skeletal nearly. He cleared his throat, opened his tiny hole of a mouth, and emitted a squeak. Can I start over? Sure, I said. Cicero nodded and took three giant strides backwards, Mother May I style, and put his hands on top of his head. He resembled a grasshopper. I steeled myself. Still holding his head, as if he might float away without the pressure of his hands, Cicero began a series of grunts, moans, sighs, and quiet howls that, even run altogether, could not be forced into a known rhythm or recognizable western melodic form. Or eastern, for that matter. Larry kicked me again, and then excused himself from the room. Cicero continued, his face pale, the overhead fluorescent light glinting off the quivering brown stubble on his chin. The words slipped from his thin lips without benefit of consonants, and his song, though probably written in the English language, was presently unknowable. I glanced at Trisha, who had been invaded by aliens, by the uncharacteristic slack-jawed look of her. Cicero cut off his voice mid-shriek and lowered his arms. Done, he said. Right, I swallowed. Did you bring a monologue? Don't know about that, but I got something I wrote, he said. Of course. It's a play, he said. And this is a monologue from the play? It's the part where the two lovers are talking and get in a fight. Well, one's dead, so it's her ghost. I'm doing both parts. I see, I said. Cicero, is this long? Because I need to limit you to a minute. We have 20 more people waiting. I pleaded with my eyes, my shoulders, even my hips, though he couldn't see them under the table where they'd been spreading and protesting the hard metal chair for over two hours of auditions now. He ran his large bony hand through his stringy hair and paste. Well, I guess I could do, you know, like the last part. He stopped and rolled his eyes, looked around the room as if searching for something essential. I was not hopeful it was the exit sign. He resumed his pacing. You don't make it easy he muttered, and then quickly turned, rushed to the wall, and grabbed a music stand, dragged it back to the center of the room. 
Larry stuck his head in the door and I locked eyes with him, sent him a clear SOS. He smiled and gave me a little finger wave before leaving again. I glanced at Trisha, who had crossed her arms over her plump middle and regained her human qualities. She winked at me. I was going to have to make a few phone calls and see if I could bring in some professionals to handle the lead roles. There was no one here whom I could begin to mold, let alone feature in a production where people were paying for their tickets. Ready? I asked, as Cicero moved to stand another six inches to the right and then back again to the left. He pointed at it. This here's the tombstone. When I'm in the grave, I'm the girl, okay? I'll figure it out, I said. Cicero lay in front of the stand, the soles of his mud-covered boots facing me. He crossed his arms on his chest. I could see up his nose. His nostrils were large and dark like caves. He sat up suddenly. I need a rose! A real rose? He nodded. Please, just pantomime it. His panicked face did not change expression. Pretend. Play act, I said, and pinched my thumb and forefinger together and sniffed the air above them. See? Won't be the same, he said and flopped down. I knew I wouldn't be the same. Wait, he said and jumped up, pulled something from his back pocket and placed it on the music stand, then lay down again. I could not be certain, but the slender gray object about the size of a cooking spoon handle looked like a bone. That was interesting. Cicero began his play, and I found his audition sheet with his vital statistics. Listening to him, I surmised that sometime in his career at Kansas City High School, he'd been exposed to Romeo and Juliet because he was laying out his own tragic version for me, there in the Kansas County Community College Band Room, the auditorium reserved for Miss Dickey's dance recital. I stopped listening to Cicero when he stood, grabbed the bone, and held it over the make-believe grave, like a flower he would toss. It was obviously a bone. An animal bone, I hoped, though frankly I wasn't positive. One end was broken, and I thought I could see blood. Or something dark brown. What color was marrow? Cicero lay down again and placed the bone on his chest, crossed his hands over it. All the time he droned on and on, the lines as bereft of consonants, and therefore meaning, as his song had been. But I was mesmerized by the slender bone, possibly a leg bone from a rabbit. No, larger, a small dog. Cicero handled it lovingly, as if he'd carved the muscle from it himself. At the piano, Trisha cleared her throat. She tapped her watch face and raised an eyebrow. Cicero, I warned. Ain't done, he whined. Minutes up, I said, staring at the bone. I'm sorry. Cicero huffed toward the door. Just a minute, I cried. He turned with a jubilant face and sprinted over to the table. Is that a bone? I asked. He stared at me, and then comprehension seeped into his features. Oh, yeah. He placed the bone on my stack of audition forms. I stared at it. Why? I mean, in your pocket? A bone? You can have it. I squinted. Where did it come from? Fell out of the sky. As I was walking in the building, nearly hit me on the head. He slid his skinny rump onto the table. Do I get the part? It fell out of the sky, I said, and glanced at Trisha, who sat nodding, as if she herself had picked up a smooth tibia from the ground on her way in. She was going to pull one from her handbag any minute. I got plenty more, Cicero declared, and nudged the bone towards me with his finger. Hawks drop them. Excuse me. Wait a minute. I inhaled. You're telling me that you've had other bones fall out of the sky? 
and land at your feet. Well, sure. Me, with my hard-earned four years of college and two years of graduate degree and my traveling artist-in-residencies, I'd never been the recipient of a bone from the clouds. I eyed Cicero and then the bone while strains of bluegrass drifted in from the recital next door. I pictured my hotel room whose windows overlooked the Walmart. My room was neat, neat as a pin. Everything I owned could fit in the battered duffel I stowed in the closet behind the complimentary ironing board. Right then, I felt everything I knew could probably fit in that duffel as well. Out of the hundreds of people I'd auditioned over the last few years on my grant, Cicero was the very worst, truly the bottom of the barrel. I thought I should ask for more money, maybe add a hardship clause to my contract. But that bone... Cicero jumped from the table and grinned at me through small yellow teeth. Do I get the part? Exactly what part do you want? I picked up the bone that had once been in a hawk's talons and felt an overwhelming desire to smell it. Don't know. What parts are there? I sat back, pointed the bone at his horsey face. Are you familiar with this musical, The King and I? Uh, think maybe I've seen parts of it, like on YouTube. Larry traipsed through the door. We're running out of time, he's saying, and I still have to dance, everybody. He executed a single pirouette and skipped back out. Larry may have been the hired choreographer from Chicago, but he wasn't holding a skeleton piece meteored from the heavens. Further, what was his rush? We'd not seen one competent auditioner so far, and I had my doubts about the remaining 20 kicking their heels in the hall. Time was something I would have in spades for the next six weeks. Talent was what I needed. I touched the bone to the back of Cicero's hand. The King and I is about a clash of cultures, one man's desire to move his society forward. The female lead is a teacher, an outsider, who is appalled by the traditions of the king's country, yet determined to teach them her ways, as she learns theirs. Uh-huh, Cicero said. I could be the king. He ripped the bone from my hand. Like, I'd have this crown and a big, you know, he said, punching the bone in the air. Ruling stick. A scepter? Set what? I could do it. I panicked and thought he might keep his gift to me, of the bone. I held out my hand for it. He froze, and I should have been more casual, because an understanding, and a cunning, I have to admit, crept into his eyes. Cicero was a different animal now, with his new knowledge of the depth of my desire. He lightly tapped the bone in his palm. It's like you, coming here, he said, held out the bone just inches from my reach. To get it, I'd have to reach over the tabletop, and I wasn't ready to play my hand. I tilted my head back and looked at him from under my glasses. What about me? I asked, cool as a cucumber. Again, Larry waltzed in. I'm taking lunch, he declared, and stomped out. Cicero gave a gummy smile and moved the bone closer. I cautiously took one end, and he held the other. Like that lady teacher in the musical wanting to change things, he said, but like getting changed herself. He released the bone to my grip, but I still felt the weight of him there on the other side of that table. The weight of Cicero and Susie and Norman and all the others waiting in the hall, desiring to sing and dance of a far-off country, wanting to leave their boots, their fields, their barns, and twirl in bright-colored costumes on the glowing stage in front of an expecting and admiring crowd to momentarily be someone else. I slipped the bone into my lap. Cicero opened his meager mouth, but I cut him off. You got the part. I said. He whooped, 
a loud bray that startled Trisha off her piano bench. Cicero, I called as he jumped and cavorted toward the exit. Tell them. Tell the others waiting. Everybody gets a part. I took the bone from my lap and pointed it at Trisha. Take lunch, I told her. I brought a sandwich, she said, and pulled the plastic sack from her purse. I can split it. But I was going out for a walk with my bone in the field next to the parking lot. I'd be watching the sky, hoping to get a part. You've just been listening to The Audition by Becky Henshaw. I'm Jim McAteer here with co-host Kevin McMahon, and we have Becky on the show to talk about the piece and writing in general. Welcome, Becky. Hello. (laughs) It's good to have you on. I am very happy to be here. (laughs) Great. Well, um, I know readers are going to have really, or listeners are really going to have enjoyed that story. Uh, Kev, do you have a question to kick us off? Yeah, Jim and I both really loved it, and we just wanted to know what sparked the story for you. Is there anything that happened to you in real life? Was there an experience that you drew on? Kevin, I I love this question about this story in particular. Um, All of my stories have a kernel of truth in them, Mm -hmm. and I was out in the yard with my little dog, And I heard this clattering, this rustling in the leaves, and I'm standing under a tree and crashing through the branches and then like landing with a thud about 20 feet from me falls this bone. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. I immediately, I'm just like, whoa, I I was amazed. (laughs) Heaven is like sending me the signal. Like, what is this, you know, symbol falling out of the sky for me? Right. My little dog, on the other hand, she's just like, oh, it's a bone. And she trots over (laughs) and she grabs it in her mouth and goes to the corner of the yard and begins to eat it like it happens to her every day, you know? (laughs) And it it just made me realize that, you know, I found all this potential meaning in this bone hurling out of the sky and my dog, it was just like another day for her. Oh, it's a bone. So I just kind of filed that because I, I thought I'm fascinated in when unexpected things happen to us and when unpredicted things happen to us and what decisions we make from that, how it can really change the course of our lives. It can seem random Unless we somehow apply it. That sounds odd. I know. But (laughs) I also, (laughs) so I also have auditioned hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. And and, um, it is always the most fun experience. But Cicero in the story was based on a young man who I did watch in in an audition. I was the choreographer, and so I wasn't the director and uh, casting the play. But I watched this young man, and he very much did exactly what I wrote about, except somewhere in my writing practice and my writing mind, 
as I'm riding along and I come to the part where he pulls out a rose, he pulled out a bone. That's great. Yeah. And so I, my mind wanted to connect those two events and I didn't plan it, but I think if you write enough and you're in your zone, these little connections that you've made in your mind just zing, you know, zing in there. Mm-hmm. Um, I watched the Bee Gees documentary last night. Have you guys oh, watched? Yeah. I have no. not. I got to tell you, it was phenomenal. But there is this one comment that Barry Gibbs made when someone said, you know, they wrote over a thousand songs. And someone said, you know, so how do you do it? How do you write those songs? And he was like, those songs are just out there. They're Mm -hmm. out there. And if I'm in the zone, I'm just trying to receive them. And I thought, whoa, I... I know what you mean, okay? Of, of course, I'm not Barry Gibbs, right? But <laughs> I, I have heard other artists say this. I think it only works if you're writing a lot, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but anyway, so my mind and my imagination and my psychological story that we're all trying to tell, we're all trying to tell our own story, um, just connected those two things. And uh, out came the audition. That was really cool. Well, it's a super fun piece. Thank you. I I liked writing that one very much. Well, I just love that everybody gets a part. (laughs) (laughs) So funny. Have you ever auditioned for anything, Jim? I have um, not so much. I've been uh, on stage crew, so I've gone through. I mean, I know all about productions. Um, I did that in high school and then in college these are going way back but um i was on i did the lights in at uh at a school in college for a while so you know i was always the backstage guy oh it is a it's a such a nerve-wracking situation right I've auditioned a lot of people and i've auditioned myself and uh it's it's no one there is cool as a cucumber as they say they are so Right, right. Well, I I feel like um, directors, choreographers probably fall in that same category. All those folks that are directing other people have a certain way about them. And that totally came across through the story. Oh, good. <laughs> good. You have to love it. You have to absolutely love it because you're never going to get paid mm-hmm. for the time that you invest. And you've got to love this huge cast of characters that just comes through your life and they're all so individual and so interesting and all in love with the theater you know that's the one thing that we all share and um all those all the shows i have done have in some way contributed to to my understanding of my own writing but also just humanity (laughs) yeah right that's great. Well, so what would you say draws you to writing? Since you have a background in theater, where does where does the writing come from? That it's my my artistic <laughs> uh, career began with writing. I loved words. I loved language, and I started out as a poet, actually. Okay. And uh, poetry and dance to me have so many similarities because you're 
you're distilling down the language to just a few words, right? Mm, mm -hmm. Capturing a detail. You're capturing a, just a moment. And um, choreography or dance, uh, when you create a dance, very similar. And um, dance is, there's something so special about dance, at least um, if you don't look at videotaped dance or recorded dance, but live dance mm -hmm. and live theater, it can never be repeated the same way, ever. You know, so mm -hmm. there's something really special about it. Um, but choreographer, uh, choreography is similar to poetry in that you're really just trying to capture one special moment or mood or metaphor. It's a distillation process. So to me, they are very, very similar. Um, but I couldn't choreograph really well and write really well at the same time. Mm -hmm. It was crazy. I could either completely commit to choreography and dance or completely commit to writing. And because dancing is something you really have a limited physical time frame. Right, sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, the, your bones aren't going to last forever and your joints and, and stuff. So I decided to, after, you know, several years of writing in New York, I decided, okay, I'm putting that on hold so I can focus on dance. Hmm. Then when my knees gave out after, you know, after a couple of decades, then I decided to move into writing and, and uh, went back and got my master's in literature and, and just dedicated time to that. So oh, both, great. by the way, equally lucrative career <laughs> <laughs> writing and dance <laughs> well we are discovering and launching this uh, inaugural edition which we are thankful to have you on for so your piece for but that um the time investment on our end just reading and working with authors is amazing way more than <laughs> we expected <laughs> but the thing is we love it so it's fun and, and you know it's all okay in the end it is. It is. And, and if we get to do something we love to do, man, we're lucky. So right. lucky. So yeah, I'm, I'm very glad to be on this inaugural podcast. <laughs> I'm psyched. Thank you. Thank you. Well, is there a genre that you focus in on or you prefer to read and or write? Writing, um, I would say in the last 10 years, um, I've preferred working on long works, novels. Mm -hmm. Um, reading, man, I love, I love everything. Uh, during the pandemic, boy, I have run the gamut. I don't know about you guys, but <laughs> like graphic novels, mysteries, comedy, nonfiction, fiction, science. <laughs> the only thing I haven't really, uh, lost myself in is romance novels. I have not picked up a romance novel even though i love love stories know mm -hmm. how that dang thing's gonna end <laughs> but I, thrillers mysteries i escape reading mm -hmm. very big during the pandemic lots of escape yeah Have, has the pandemic changed like what you're drawn to write or the way you write 
Kevin, that <clears throat> that's like the big question. It's mm-hmm. really that's a huge question. It has it it has forced me into so much introspection. Yeah. Hmm. And in understanding and also embracing the fact that my writing practice I need to change. I need to change my writing practice. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and I was kind of beating my head against the wall, beating myself up. Okay, so at the beginning of the pandemic, me and my writer friends were like, okay, you know, we're going to encourage ourselves. We're going to write every day. We're going to text each other. We're going to hold each other responsible. Mm -hmm. And we were gangbusters. I mean, 1,500 words. You know, 700 words, 2,000 words. We're texting each other. We're all fired up. And then as the isolation continued and continued, man, we could not sustain it. Hmm. I have slowly ground to a complete halt. (laughs) (laughs) Just a halt. I'm, I'm editing a novel, and that's the only thing I'm doing. But as far as creating new material, I think it was great up until like the beginning of June and I have mm-hmm. not created any new material and I felt so bad about it. And the great thing about COVID is that, okay, that was a weird thing to say. There's nothing great about COVID. What is the great thing about COVID? <laughs> no, that is going to be over hopefully in my lifetime. Um, yeah, definitely. No, uh, the, the way to take advantage of COVID Okay, Mm -hmm. that's a better way to say that is um, just to slow way down. This is what it has been for me in my brain and to really evaluate my writing practice and evaluate what's important to me, Mm -hmm. but also just to have some damn fun. You know, Mm -hmm. I, I have been very driven in my life and. There's always this sense of, well, this is what I should be doing. This is what I should be doing, you know. And with the pandemic, it has, I've really allowed myself to try to just relax and just have some fun and really experiment, really question some of my practices and just throw some out, you know, just get rid of them and well so what do you mean by practice you're we're writing practices well i i love yoga and yoga is a practice yeah Mm -hmm. and frankly cook i think almost everything we do if we're honest about it is a practice Hmm. (laughs) it's all cooking is a practice you have to keep trying it Mm -hmm. um everything is experiment and it makes it a lot more fun if you think of it that way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but I, I truly, so as a teacher, I'm all about, you got to play. Let your mind play. All the good stuff happens when you're playing in your mind. And I realized I wasn't letting myself play. You know, I'm really good at teaching my students what to do. But then to allow myself to do it as well is where I was getting kind of rusty. Interesting. Yeah. So, um, so I've been, I've been trying to play more in my mind and not have 
too many specific boundaries that I can't cross. Um, and of course, you know, boundaries in my mind. So a lot of this stuff, you, there's no way I'd tell you. <laughs> well, that's fine. <laughs> well, it's from a writing perspective, because you said your writing practice. I just wonder if that was um, like the approach that you take or if you were too limiting or trying to be too commercial or what you was trying to get to where you were going um, with that. I, I've been through bouts with that, Jim. That's a great question. Um I would say my long pieces, my novels are, are literary. Mm -hmm. And I have had agents say, you know, you've got to think about getting more commercial. And you hmm. know what? I It was almost like stuffing myself into this little box. I just, I couldn't do it. And so um, I just need to embrace more the way that I write. Mm -hmm. I need to accept it and embrace it. And um, there's a reader for everything. I agree with yeah. that. Mm -hmm. And all rules that you read out there, writing rules, you know, they're meant to be broken, basically. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I think it's just giving yourself a whole lot of um, leeway and room to play and not stick yourself in a box or I should say stick myself <laughs> in a box. So yeah, as far as my, my actual process in writing, um, I, it's, I don't outline or anything. I, I usually, I hear an event or something that's happened to a friend or something that happens to me and I'll journal it or just record it, you know, on paper really quickly. Um, but then if I'm writing, I will just sit down and write until I can't write anymore. And I really, when I'm writing novel-length stuff, I truly need three to five hours mm -hmm. to get into a zone. And that is where COVID has really smacked me down because I that fo it, COVID has really taken my focus. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm really looking forward to being able to breathe a little bit more easily about the world we live in and to be able to recover that focus that I could have for such long periods of time. That's a really great way to describe it. And because I, I, I'm working on a, a novel also, wrapping it up, and I thought, wow, I'm going to take advantage of this. But my brain would just not let go. I could not, um, I'd sit down to to do something and I couldn't. So the best I could do was kind of edit some old stuff. But um, yeah, I, the creativity part, I felt sapped. And I'm sure a lot of people would agree with you that at least back in March and April, I mean, by now we're adjusting in some way, but yeah, yeah what a challenge. What a challenge. You know what it's made me think of is that if, you know, if I'm this kind of fragile person, you know, that I have all these things that I need specifically to be super creative. My mind just I think of those men and women like who live in war zones mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and they're writing, they're writing these intensely beautiful and profound things. And you know, when was the last time they got to focus for three hours? Good point. So, yep. Mm -hmm. 
you know, that's that's another way where I've been, I've really been questioning my own practice going, okay, you told yourself you had to have three to five hours, but you know you can do it without that much. So that's another way I'm trying to shape my practice to to say, oh, don't get in that rut. You can, you can try another way to do this. Well, when you write the long form versus the short story, do you find anything particularly challenging um, with either of those and or particularly um, enjoyable with either form? Uh, I love um, long form. I really do. I get into, I love bringing in different voices and different characters and I totally love suspending whoever the heck Becky Hinshaw is and just like literally thinking I'm living as this other person. How do they move? Mm -hmm. How do they talk? And I think that's another aspect of my love for theater is being able to play this character and just like go what down whatever rabbit hole mm -hmm. I find with writing from the perspective of another character. It's so freeing. It is so fun. And I love it. I absolutely love that part of long form. Um, that's great. And, and then coming up with plot twists, you know, and just like in the, in the, in the long form, in the novel I'm working on now, I write from the perspective of, you know, an old beat up racist railroad worker. And then I also write from the perspective of a mentally disabled woman. And I write from the perspective of a high school kid who's being bullied. Hmm. I mean, all the I write from the perspective of a, a Baptist preacher. You know, I mean, it's so fun to mm -hmm. get into those characters' heads. It's kind of scary, too. I imagine, yeah. Because it's my <laughs> head I'm getting into. Yeah. <laughs> it's not really another person. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> I'm asking all the questions. So, Kev, you got something you want to lay out there? Uh, no. I, You know, questions I drew up have been answered. And I've been just, <laughs> it's just been so fun to listen to you talk about writing and, and everything. <laughs> I know. Well, these things have been really great because every author that we've interviewed so far, your number four, has been, um, it's just everyone has such a different perspective and they bring different energy and it's fascinating, but I would say the, the unique thing that ties it all together so far is everyone is creative. You know, they have that kind of ex want to express something, and that has been really fun to just talk about with people. So what are you reading right now? Well, right now I'm reading a book called The Outside Boy. It's by Janine, and, and I am now blanking on her last name. I'm so sorry. Um. But I really, this summer, I loved reading uh, Tara Westover's Educated. Have you guys read that? I heard about that one, no. Oh, my gosh. It just it. blew me away. It was, yeah. it was amazing. My neighborhood has little libraries mm -hmm. every single block. Wow, that's great. Yeah. And so, basically, my husband goes out every morning like at dawn, and he goes foraging, foraging. <laughs> that's awesome. These little libraries. And he comes back with all these fabulous, you know, novels. And so, I have been reading everything from Elizabeth George, that fabulous British 
thriller mystery writer. Um, to let me see, I read Eric Larson's The Devil in White City. So, you know, they're great. These little libraries, and it just makes me feel so much closer to all my neighbors when I can't actually, you know, go visit them in their home. Right, right. I know what they've been reading. <laughs> that is the, well, and just in case our listeners aren't familiar with the concept, which I'm sure they are, it's basically when someone puts a, a small little stand out in front of their house and then they put books in it and then you can take them and you're supposed to put your own books in as you know whatever if you can right basically that's it yes if you have books you're not reading anymore or if it's what my husband does he'll take some from you know four blocks this side of town and move them eight blocks over (laughs) there so he's keeping the circulation going great great. oh yeah (laughs) he's He's in in, he works in circulation exactly (laughs) It's fantastic. Right. But I love seeing these books that people have in these little libraries. Uh, just an incredible variety of children's books. And it was crazy because I saw one of my friend's books in one of these little libraries that was published 20 years ago. Wow. And there it was. And I, that was so cool. I just loved seeing that. I immediately told her. <laughs> of course, I would want to know. <laughs> well, um, so speaking of reading, do you ever read digitally? Are you like, uh, are you a strictly a paper person or do you do Kindle or any of those? Okay, see, there's the COVID talking right there because <laughs> <laughs> when we went into isolation, I was going nuts, right? Even though the library has a great program of you can you could still borrow books, even though for a while you couldn't, I think. So I thought, dang it, I'm going to bite the bullet. I'm going to buy a Kindle. Mm. Okay. And I did that and I like it, but it's, to me, it's not the same. It's, it's way easier to read at night in bed. Yes. Without waking up your partner. Exactly. But I, I can't turn the page and, and I can't tell how far I am into this. I mean, I like to visually see. Mm-hmm. How far I am into a mm-hmm. story, and I love turning the page, so I do miss that. Interesting, yeah, yeah. But I do like Kindle. I mean, and good gracious, they've made it so easy for you to get any book you want on Kindle through the library. You know, just right. Get one that way. It so that's great, but I'm still getting used to it, Jim. What about what about you guys? Are you guys Kindlers? I'm primarily a, an iPad person. Yeah, I don't have a Kindle, but I do everything through like the library apps. Yeah. And um, don't have a Kindle. Yeah, I don't have a Kindle either. I guess I shouldn't be saying brand names on here. Oh, it's okay. <laughs> whatever. I don't think they're going to come for us yet. Yeah, exactly. We can say whatever we want. <laughs> yeah, I do both. I do both, but I, I do still prefer a physical book. I don't know. I guess... That's just how I've learned to read. So, you know, the first cut is the deep. Well, the coolest thing to me about the Kindle or the electronic version of reading is that you can, with some of them, the library ones, not so much, but if you buy a book, you can, you can get both the, the paper and the audio and they, mm-hmm. they connect. That has been great because I'll be reading in bed and then in the morning before I take the kids to school or whatever, I can put on the audio while I'm doing the dishes and getting breakfast ready and I'm still moving forward in the story. You know, and then when I go to pick up again, I, it's where it left off. And that is just amazing. It's so true. That is so true. And I really like hearing books read 
in an Australian male accent. Interesting. Wow. Interesting. <laughs> okay. Found your niche. There's some kind of romance theme right totally. there. Totally. <laughs> if you're Australian and you're a man, you're you say you sound good saying anything. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I prefer the Irish accent myself. I just oh. think the Irish accent is truly a gift from the gods. Yeah, I, I agree. <laughs> Irish accent is beautiful too. That's funny. I think podcasts. I mean, I have discovered the un- in unbelievable joy of podcasts. Mm-hmm. I've been going nuts listening to kind of radio theater. Yep, yep. And I'm re- I'm very interested in that now. You know, I might try my hand at writing stuff like that. Totally. Yeah, like a serial sort of a yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There are some really good shows out there. I have not gotten into those. I've just heard about them on the news, but I, I am a huge podcaster, but mostly they're news shows, news, science, whatever. Oh, yeah. The science shows are so cool. And the outdoor survival shows, I have this thing about surviving bear attacks. I don't know why. <laughs> it's good to be prepared. That is hilarious. Well, you know, I'm terrified of bears. I shouldn't be, but whenever we go hiking, I have like a bandolier of bear spray. So, seriously, seriously, I am, I am. <laughs> I think I read about it. I camped in um, after college back in the '90s. I camped in Yosemite, and oh, yeah. you know, it's pretty. And then you got grizzly bears out there, and was with a buddy, and we got scared out of our mind because it was dark and we were still going up the mountain. And uh, something big, like, jumped. But it was a deer. But anyway, ever since then, and then I read about sort of the capital punishment for bears, which is when they kill someone, yes, then they have to go after it. They have to find the bear and, and kill it. Dude, and, they have um, to destroy it, yeah. So I'm with you 100%. My plus, And ever since then, I'm just like, bears just, I'm afraid of them. <laughs> see, I want to see one. That's that's the stupid thing about me. I want to see a bear. You know, part of me is like, could I survive? A bear attack? He's completely unreasonable, you know? (laughs) So what did you learn on your survival? Did you hear a podcast on it? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I have heard so many things. So apparently a lot of people are fascinated about how to survive a bear attack. (laughs) I heard so many things. Play dead. Make yourself big. You know, uh, run. Don't run. Run towards them. Run away from them. You know. Oh, yeah. Well, I just tell you, if you ever, I mean, there's a couple, it was the outside article, outside magazine article on it and um, many years ago, but I'm sure you can still find it. And it basically, they kind of track the path of what happened to a hiker. You know, I mean, like they dropped a backpack at some point, they followed, like it was, she was trying to get away and, you know, eventually climbed up a tree, no use in the end, but it was just horrible because it was just sort of like he was like stalking her, you know what I mean? And I thought. They do. They yeah. go rogue and they stalk. And as a matter of fact, it, it was the outside podcast I was listening to. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, the guy, and it was a guy, and the and the bear began stalking him, and he couldn't believe it. But that bear was dang hungry. Right, right. <laughs> well, this podcast truly is amazing. We go from writing to um, bear stories. <laughs> <laughs> it's very logical, Jim. Somehow. There's a logic in there, and I'm going to figure out what it is, and then it's going to go in a short story. That sounds great, as long as you submit Beautiful. it to us. And it's going to it's going to be called the podcast attack. <laughs> sounds great. I love it. 
All right. Well, we are wow, we're already up on 30 minutes here. Do you have anything or Kev, do you have any last questions and or uh, Becky, is there anything that you want to tell our listeners and or our readers? Um, thank you so much, Jim and Kevin. I am very excited about this venture for you guys and super um, happy about it and uh, so looking forward to seeing what you do in the future. Oh, thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks, Becky. Take care. All right. Thank you very much for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. If so, please help us spread the word by telling your friends, giving us a rating on your favorite podcast app, or better yet, shout it from the rooftops through your social media outlet of choice. The Story Discovery Podcast is a free narrated podcast of the works that appear in Etched Onyx magazine. Edited by J.W. McAteer and Kevin McMahon. All stories are available for free at onyxpublications.com. That's O-N-Y-X publications.com. If you'd like to support the continuation of this podcast and or the magazine, please consider a small donation through Patreon at patreon.com slash onyxpublications. As a nano publishing house, we are always looking for new stories to showcase If you'd like to submit a story for consideration, visit the submissions page on our website. Until next time, keep reading and writing.